Finding math-driven solutions to complex human dilemmas can cause anxiety for some. But for today's guest, surgical robotic engineering is a passion inside his laboratory on the campus of the University of Tennessee. Hosted by Dr. Brad Schultz and Amanda Price, this is Mustang Unbothered. Robotics is a branch of computer science and engineering. It takes methodical and detailed minds to design robots and automate the systems to manipulate them. Today's guest is deep in mechanical engineering research at the University of Tennessee. Class of 2002 graduate Dr. Kayla Brucker is an associate professor of mechanical, aerospace, and biomedical engineering, specializing in designing the next generation of safer, more effective surgical robots and interventional tools. He is also a 2017 recipient of the prestigious National Science Foundation Career Award and a 2018 Mustang Alumni Award recipient. Caleb, thank you for inviting us to your lab today. Thank you so much for coming. Well, you are a true Lipscomb lifer, Caleb. You came to Lipscomb in elementary school and completed a double undergraduate degree at the university in math and engineering. There had to have been a lot of meaningful moments during those 15 plus years. We hope so, at least. <laughs> so yeah. Are there any that stand out? Oh, that's just like too many to count. I mean, it's my whole life. I mean, uh, you know, first grade through bachelor's and uh, meeting my wife, uh, you know, while we were in calculus class and <laughs> that was... Uh, in high school? Uh, no, no, in college, college. yeah, that's, uh, that's later. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, certainly the college years are very meaningful to me. Um, I think back to Lipscomb Academy, which at the time was David Lipscomb High School for me. Uh, yeah, I mean it's or yeah, middle school and elementary school. Uh, there's there's just so many things. Uh, you know, I would I would say in high school, singing in the chorus was a big uh, meaningful thing for me. Being on the cross country team, the camaraderie there of those friends, uh, you know, lasted for for a long time, and and just the the formation that we all underwent in in those endeavors was was yeah it was very significant for me yeah well i can tell that you were well liked by your peers because you were named bachelor of ugliness <laughs> and you also participated in many extracurricular activities including this balance of arts and athletics so tell me well, you, you touched a little bit about being in the course with mr king and you touched a little bit about cross-country. Do you want to talk a little bit more in depth either about those programs or what you learned specifically from them? Sure, yeah. I mean, I think if there's a common theme, it's like uh, experiencing like transcendent beauty. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I think I learned like, well, I, I guess through cross-country, it's kind of like you you learn the value of discipline over a long period of time leading to a good result the value of really pushing yourself to your limits um, and the value of being surrounded by people doing the same thing striving for that excellence and and helping each other along uh, that, that team aspect really came through in, in cross country and track as well but uh, I think the chorus thing I mean I've, I've always really uh, had a deep love for music and that experience was, you know, really, I mean, I, I had trouble deciding whether I wanted to go into music <laughs> or, or engineering or, or math and science. And, um, 
yeah, that was a big part of that. I still, you know, I, I, music's a big part of my life now. Um, still play music and and write write some music for uh, for our church and things like that. So yeah, the the chorus was was a uh, kind of an eye opening moment of like what what uh, what amount of beauty can can we produce right uh, together if we're uh, singing these very old things from you know as early as the 1500s uh, and that beauty survived over time uh, to influence all these young people. It's just really amazing. Well, how did your how did your cross country coaches influence you? Yeah, so De- uh, 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 Earl and Rebecca Lavender were a huge influence on so many of us that ran cross country, um, and not just from an athletic perspective. They really that program was was very Christ centered, and uh, you know taught us things about ourselves, but also um, how to follow Christ better. And you know that legacy continued. I, I had Earl Lavender in college for biblical ethics. Um, and maybe even another class, I think, uh, engineering ethics, where we really started learning more specifically about uh, the kingdom of God and what that entailed. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I can really measure the influence that that, that, that the total of those experiences has had on me and, uh, and others that I know. So you just mentioned talking about spirituality that you like to sing, you like to write music. Mm-hmm. You told me that you liked to lead chapel when you were uh, a high school student. From a spiritual perspective, how did, of course, coupled with your parents, how did the spiritual cur- cur- curriculum at Lipscomb help prepare you for a path once you left our campus? Yeah, so I think the probably the most important thing was just the daily experience of chapel like that was you know it it has a liturgical rhythm to it where nine o'clock we all go like we drop what we're doing and we all go and we sing beautiful music together and we do it on a sort of a very level playing field like everyone's voice counts the same amount in in uh in this setting um uh so it's it's it was great to be able to to experience that day to day, and also have you know a daily Bible class where it's clear that that you know is a central component of the academic curriculum there. Um, so that was, yeah, I think that's the main way that that those things formed me is just through the beauty of the experience of being able to to do that daily thing. So you've created your own fidget spinner. Yeah, this is a large. Uh, ball bearing <laughs> yeah. and I, I got it the other day and I was like this is an excellent fidget toy I actually took it home to my son and let him uh, play around with it as well but yeah right. yeah. you market that and- well it, I can't <laughs> yeah it's just a it's a standard bearing <laughs> anyone can pick one up <laughs> so after uh, graduating from Lipscomb University mm-hmm. uh, you secured a spot in the PhD program at Vanderbilt University and worked there with a faculty member that stirred your interest in the realm of engineering, applied in the in the area of healthcare, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and you helped develop a new robotic technology. And after completing that program, you stayed for two more years at Vanderbilt to work on some guidance surgery. Mm-hmm. So I can read all of that. <laughs> I'm trying to kind of in my mind yeah. imagine what 
all that looks like. Could you explain to our listeners, not me, you know, because I totally get it now. Sure, right, right. right. Yeah. But, but to those <laughs> listeners who don't understand this, like, what, what all did that entail? Yeah, I mean, that's a whole six years of my life. I'll try to <laughs> kind of boil it down. Uh, you know, we were working on uh, the next generation of very small uh, surgical robots uh, technology. So many people have known someone that has had uh, robotic surgery or maybe have had themselves. It's a very widespread technology these days, um, but we're, we were trying to push the boundaries of what was possible with that and reach areas in the body that uh, couldn't currently be reached. So we were making, trying to make robotic arms very small and compact and able to go places that uh, currently were impossible. So the idea there was to use these elastic metal tubes and to pre-curve them in a way that allowed us to remotely control the shape of these arms uh, inside a patient. And then my job was basically to try and figure out the the math that would describe this system and that would allow us to control it and to design it. So it, engineering always starts with understanding the physics and the math and then works towards applying that in, into a problem, a design problem or a control problem. So that was, the, that was the deal. We had this idea, we can use these pre-curved tubes to do this thing, and the question was how do we figure out how to do that? And uh, so that was the bulk of my PhD, was solving that problem, trying to figure out the math that would make these small tubular robots work. So we did that, uh, that was a success. Uh, learned about writing academic papers through that process, wrote several of them. I took a postdoc in the biomedical department at, at Vanderbilt, um, looking at a completely different problem, but related to similar application. So there we were looking at um, giving doctors better information in the operating room about what anatomy they are dealing with. Uh, so typically a patient will have preoperative imaging of the anatomy that's going to have surgery. And then the doctors use those pictures in the middle of surgery to as a map, right, as a map of where they are. And we can track the tools that the doctor is using in the surgery, and we can plot those locations on the map. So it's a bit like looking at a GPS and you see your little blue dot, you know. Um, so you can see the tools there on the map. And our goal was to, uh, to try to update the map itself to say, well, the anatomy is not now, does not now currently look like it used to look in at the time that it was imaged. Um, there's all these various physical effects that have taken place in, in between the time. And so we, we need to update that map somehow. And so we would take data in the operating room, um, things like laser range scanners to take surface data, and then use that data to drive a computer algorithm to then update the map that the doctor is looking at. So that's another bit of work that I did prior to coming to UT. So looking back at, you know, obviously some extremely complicated map. Yeah. <laughs> in the last year, has there been a time as you're working through this math and the mistake was, oh, I forgot, I, I misadded these two numbers? Oh, yeah, well, I mean, that happens. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, we, we uh, at this point, we're not adding things up by hand. <laughs> we're not adding things up on a calculator. Okay, we are writing. Or an I'm yeah. more comfortable with robots in my belly, not, not focused on uh, Right. We're, we're, more often, we're writing computer code that will do the math. And so it's, the math translates to a computer program. And uh, so the real issue is, have you written the correct code 
right? Is there a bug in the code? Is there some issue that you didn't foresee? Uh, that's sort of the more more risky thing. The computer's going to get the addition problem right, <laughs> but <laughs> but it's only going to do what you told it to do. Right. So uh, the question it's your fault. Right? It's your fault. Yeah, you have to you have to tell the computer the right instructions, and you have to write the right program. And that's an elegant design problem. Like you have to. There's an art to that. As I look at so. all this technology in the room, do you happen to have a phone charger for an iPhone? I don't use <laughs> Apple products normally, uh, but... <laughs> oh, that's our next question. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I don't have an iPhone charger, but I have an Android charger. It's okay. <laughs> I'm just kind of joking. Um. <laughs> well, hold on. Let's go back to that. Sure. Is there a reason that you don't use Apple products? No. I, in fact, I, do, I did recently get a, an Apple computer, but it's just, a, it's just a habit. I mean, normally for things that we do, it's more convenient to use... PC and Windows, just because the more engineering programs work seamlessly with that type of operating system. So it's, I mean, I can go back and forth and be in both worlds, but uh, my normal thing is, is, is not the Apple world. But my wife is uh, a de devoted Apple user as well, so I'm very familiar with it. <laughs> Got a good balance. Yep, a little bit of both, yep. So after you left Vanderbilt, uh, UT, you were brought here to UT to mm -hmm. um, work in the mechanical aerospace and biomedical engineering department. Right? That's right, yeah. And you, you oversee a robot, robotics department, the REACH lab? Yes. So what, what's happening in the REACH lab? What, oh. what kind of cool robots? All kinds of things, yeah. I mean, we've been at work for nine years now. Uh, I've graduated, uh, I think, f four or five students now uh, get, got their PG PhDs with me through this lab. We, we basically try to, uh, as I was saying earlier, like uh, push the boundaries of what's possible in robotics. Um, so some of that looks like asking how we can make robots inherently safe to work around. Um, these are large-scale robots. Like, you know, the current situation in a factory that has robotics in it is that the robots in the factory exist in isolated spaces away from humans and have lots of safety guard rails around them uh, and so it could be that the future of robotics might look more collaborative between robots and humans it would be nice to be able to work alongside a robot and have a robot do do various things that are not well suited for humans to do and have humans do various things that are not well suited for robots to do so we're interested in making robots inherently safe and one way to do that is uh, is to make robots uh, soft instead of hard. <laughs> so you have this entire field that's grown in the last five years of soft robotics, and this is just making robot structures out of soft materials. And so instead of like multiple rigid links like a human arm would have, you have something more along the lines of an elephant's trunk. An elephant's trunk has no bones. It uh, consists only of muscles and fluid chambers. Um, and yet it's dexterous. It can pick up very small grains, uh, very small straw uh, bits and things like that. And it can manipulate them in space. And it can also lift heavy loads. Even though it's soft and deformable, it's capable in these ways. But if you bumped it into an elephant's trunk, it doesn't hurt, <laughs> right? Um, and, you know, there might be some risk involved, but it's, uh, it's way less than, than working beside an industrial robot. So there's this whole field of soft robotics that 
that is trying to answer those questions and trying to design new robots that have those structures and then figure out how to control them. <laughs> and so that's where a lot of our research comes in is, is answering those fundamental questions like what, is, what are the equations that describe flexible robots? What are the uh, what do we need to program into our computers in order to drive them in order to do what we want them to do and be behave like we want them to behave. So it's kind of a physics problem and it's uh, applied to these real systems that we're hoping will have better capabilities. And then uh, one, uh, I should probably say like the main, main application that we work on in our lab is again surgical robotics where we're trying to create new mechanisms to shrink these robots down and make them simultaneously strong and dexterous and small. <laughs> so if you can make something small enough, you can send it into places in the body where you don't, you can't go with your own hands, right? Um, and if you can remotely control those, those things, then uh, you have a way of basically shrinking your Shrinking the doctor down to. Uh, and is that yeah. happening right now, or is this still on? No, it's happening. I mean, we're so we're uh, embarking on uh, a five-year project funded by the National Institutes of Health um, to create a new robotic system for colon cancer surgery, and that's going to be trying to take out colon cancer from inside the colon instead of coming invasively from from outside and removing a section of the colon. Um, so to do that, we're trying to create small tubular arms again, and this time it's using a different technology that we invented here um, that's going to make those even better, more dexterous. Um, I have an example here if you want to see it. So one thing that we do is uh, laser cutting of small tubes. Uh, so I have an example here. It's it's going to be hard to see on the camera, but uh, this is a this is a solid stainless steel hypodermic tube that you might make a uh, into a needle. And what we can do is make small, very very tiny incisions into this tube. And if you can get it on the camera, you're a better camera man than me because I've tried to take pictures of this and it's very difficult. So you, you can you may can see a little gray discoloration there, and uh, that's because there's there's hundreds of tiny slits <laughs> in the tube, and so we have maintained the structure of the tube, but now instead of a rigid uh, needle-like thing, it's flexible, so it's highly flexible, and we use this to make to make various components of this robotic system. So when you make a tube flexible in, in an asymmetric way, you can combine two of them together, and that's what's been done here. Uh, the cuts are a little bit more obvious on this one. You can, if you combine two of these tubes together with these asymmetric cuts, you can drive the, uh, the bending of the pair of tubes. So this is a, uh, this is a very small mechanical flexible arm, and it will come out of a colonoscope tip and it'll have this flexible shaft so I can put the flexible shaft in any position I want and still uh, move the tip around and we make different versions of this depending on the the pattern of cuts that you have you can get different shapes you can get s-curve shapes or uh, constant circular arc shapes or any other shape you want um, and so you know one question we have is uh, how what's the What's the set of shapes we need for these robots to take in order to do these surgeries well? And how do we design the cuts into the tubes uh, to create those shapes? 
and then how do we drive the back ends of the tubes in order to make the shapes happen and ultimately these are going to be these are just sheaths these are hollow and they're going to carry surgical instruments like graspers and electric cautery knives and things like that so it's a project that we're working hard on going full speed ahead and Patented yeah. technology? It's patent pending, and <laughs> uh, there's several different patents uh, in the works uh, that are in various stages. This is what uh, my startup company, Endothea, is working on. So we started this company in 2018 with uh, collaborators at Vanderbilt, and they're working on commercializing this technology for manual surgical tools. Uh, so that's something that can be done in the near future, five, ten years, you know. Um, the work we're doing in, here in the lab is more uh, looking further ahead in the future to the point where we'll have robotically actuated uh, tubular systems like this. Um, so a little further down the line, uh, but the company's working on, on products that could come on the market in, in a very short time and make a difference. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, I could see the, uh, you know, you mentioned the elephant's trunk. I yeah, thought that right. was a random example, but you really could see. Yeah, it's a, it looks like an elephant's trunk. trunk. Yeah, it's a, yeah. Sometimes we call them snake-like uh, robots. Sometimes ten tentacle-like. Yeah, a lot of people don't like snakes. Yeah. So. Elephant's trunk. <laughs> elephant's trunk. And yeah. you said you wouldn't mind bumping into an elephant's trunk. You're correct. I wouldn't mind yeah. a snake. Snake, not. probably not. Yep. Yeah, depends on the type of snake, but. So, Caleb, you kind of stole our thunder there when you started yeah, sorry talking about, about your, <laughs> your uh, startup company. I got ahead of the questions, didn't I? Yeah, but I like that you actually brought some show and tell for us yeah. to understand what mm -hmm. it is that you... Um, so, I looked on your website that there are a couple of, handful of, um, of you mm -hmm. that have created this project and are launching it. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're going to the board meeting for tomorrow? That is what I'm traveling to Nashville for, <laughs> yeah. To meet with uh, meet with my team there. We like to, at the end of every podcast, we like to get to know our guests just a sure, little yeah. bit more with a fun game. That's it's not hard. Sounds great. It's, yeah, it's not rocket science for you, that's <laughs> for sure. So we're just gonna we're gonna say um, we're gonna give you a couple options, and you tell us which one you prefer. Okay. okay? Sure. Don't overthink it. Yeah. Don't, right. don't overthink it. I don't know Sonny is, but I'm going to ask this question. So, Disney Wally -E or Sonny the, the I Robot? Uh, Wally. -E. Chorus or Cross Country? Oh. Chorus? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. King will be so happy to hear that. I, I always say that because, like, that's continued. Well, they both continue to be part of my life. I, mean, I still run and I still write music, so I don't know. It's a toss up. Should it continue to be called The Bachelor of Ugliness or as it is now, Mr. Lipscomb? I think Mr. Lipscomb is better. <laughs> uh, I've had to explain this to my kids. Like, no, it means this. Ugly. Like, I don't know how it came I up. My wife, my wife said it the other night, and the kids were like, what? <laughs> uh, East Tennessee or Middle Tennessee? Oh, East. Sorry. <laughs> Mountains or the beach? Mountains. Favorite podcast? Oh, I don't know. The Bible Project. Oh, that is a good one. Uh, your most recent book that you've read? I'm in the middle of Lord of the Rings with my son. Oh, are you reading it aloud at night? Yeah. 
Oh, that's wonderful. So let me hear. Let me hear your your uh, go- gom- gollum gollum voice. Yeah, yeah, oh uh-huh. no, yeah, yeah. I do try hear. to do the voices. Let me hear. It. Give me oh, a voice. Okay. Uh, Pick one. He's rubbing his precious. Right <laughs> this is the, yes, this yes. is the one ring, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> No, I try to I try to make Gandalf's voice uh, quite I don't know Let's Gan- hear Gandalfy. It. I don't know. Um, <laughs> the, the only thing we have to do is decide what to do with the time that is given us. Sounds like Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Connery. I was doing yesterday. It was my great voice. My great voice is yeah. Sean Connery. <laughs> I was like, your nice. voice doesn't yeah. sound like Sean Connery, but that sounded like Sean Connery. <laughs> All right. So, most influential engineer on your work. Oh. Well, it has to be my PhD advisor, Bob Webster. I mean... From Vanderbilt? Yeah, yeah. The hardest field in engineering. Hardest field in engineering. I don't know all the fields intimately well, so I'll I'll say robotics. (laughs) And, of course, that's yours. Yeah, of course. I mean, of course I'm going to say mine's the hardest. I I don't know. I mean, uh, nuclear engineering is quite involved and uh it's the one that i know the least about so i'll I'll say nuclear yeah favorite knoxville chill spot knoxville chill spot well i quite enjoy the greenways and the uh urban wilderness trails around here there's a whole system of mountain biking and running trails in south knoxville that's it's very great so if i'm gonna spend some alone time that's where i go do you have a favorite local band um, not a local band. I mean, I, I'm I'm involved in several jam sessions that are that are local, and that's probably my favorite group of musicians locally. <laughs> uh, yeah. What instrument? I play fiddle and mandolin. Oh, yeah. We should have started with that question. <laughs> Other than faith and family, what's one thing you can't live without? I would say it's it's playing playing music on a regular basis. That's uh, something that's a good, a good unwinding thing at the end of the day. Yeah. What's an item on your bucket list? I'm just trying to get through the year, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah. I, I, there's lots of places I want to see. Um, we're, we're hopefully gonna gonna make a tour of national parks in the near future. Uh, we got to go to Rocky Mountain National Park this this summer for my brother's wedding. That was a highlight. Um, but I've never been further west than the Rockies, at least in the U.S. I mean, I've been to, like, overseas, but I've never been to, like, you know, Redwood Forest or Sequoia or... Um, oh, wait, no, I have... I've, uh, what am I saying? I've been to Washington. <laughs> uh, I've been to Vancouver. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, the national parks out west, uh, I kind of want to hit all of them and, and really see see what America has to offer there. From your building, we can see the Sun Sphere. Yes. Have you ever visited? I have been up in the Sun Sphere on a couple of occasions for various events. It's it's quite nice up there. Yeah. Can you close us out and go ye now in peace? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah. I would love to. We could play it on the. <laughs> totally joking. Um, yeah. I just want to say thank you for giving us of your time. Uh, it's so cool just hearing all the things you're doing. I don't totally understand it all, but <laughs> that's I'm glad uh, someone like you is working on it. Thank um, you. And uh, it's very cool. So thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening to Mustangs Unbridled, an exploration into the lives of Lipscomb Academy's alumni, parents, students 
teachers and interesting folk we meet along the way. To learn more about our school, visit www.lipscombacademy.org. Until next time when the Mustangs run free, this has been Mustangs Unbridled. <laughs>